Amos, book of Amos, chapter 1. And uh, once again, don't be ashamed if you have to, uh, to find the book of Amos, to turn to that old table of contents there and find out that it's between Joel and Obadiah. Between Joel and Obadiah in another one of our minor prophets. Not minor because he wasn't as important, but minor because he didn't write as much as, say, Jeremiah and others. And so uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Amos today as we continue our journey through the Bible this year. Well, I, and I want to say uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, don't forget there's no afternoon or evening activities uh, today. Celebrate, be with family, celebrate new grandchildren. Uh, Miss Jane Money celebrated a new little girl born into her family, a little Charlie, uh, this past week to Mills and Amberly. So congratulations uh, to them and to that family and uh, to others today who are celebrating uh, lots of things. I mean, we're just celebrating all over the place, which is great. That's what, that once again, as we've been journeying through, we've seen that that's the one thing that God has given us to, to bring joy to even the darkest times of our life is the people that he's put there. And so we want to take time this afternoon and celebrate those precious people. And, uh, and men, I want to encourage you to, to dote on your wives, dote on your moms, and uh, in doing so, prepare uh, your daughters and your sons to understand what it looks like for men to be able to truly celebrate, which is one of the reasons I love Philip putting together a Burley Man Choir and giving y'all probably all a startle when we all yelled hey there in the first song. That was, that was Tanner's idea. It was great. I loved it. Uh, and so it was wonderful. But, um, but anyway, Mother's Day is about uh, celebrating the gift of motherhood. And yet, men, uh, I want to warn you if, you, if you haven't gotten a card or a gift yet, you need to know that there are some messages that are not appropriate for Mother's Day. Okay? Uh, in fact, the, the Telegraph newspaper, they put out uh, the, the 20 worst Mother's Day cards uh, and so, men, I want to give you some examples of what not to do, okay, men? Just, I just want to say, this is what not to do. Kids, this is what not to say to your mom on Mother's Day. Let's, let's give it a little look. First of all, we'd, we'd start with the traditional Happy Mother's Day. Uh, first of all, Happy Mother's Day. Many thanks for the free womb and board. That's, that's, that's the tamest one we've got. That's, that's cheesy, right? But, but, you know, it's not... Not exactly, you know, we're, we need to aim higher, man. Uh, okay, secondly, uh, it's, this one's really hard to say. Sorry about it. It says, it says, even though you're a horrible driver, I still love you. That's what that actually says. <laughs> no condemnation. Uh, even, though, even though you're a horrible driver, I still love you. That's what that one says. Next. All right, next. Uh, let's, okay, let's go back one. Sorry. Well, I guess this Mother's Day card is late. Looks like someone wasn't raised properly. That's not a... Don't go there, okay? That's not, that's not a good Mother's... That's not the message we want to send. Okay, next. I got you this card because it matches your hair. It's silver. <laughs> Women don't like that, men. And I, that's not... Don't, don't do that. Um, all right, next. This one says, Mom, thanks for always checking up on me. And you can't see it, but it says, Mom, missed calls 24. <laughs> Some of you, that's, that's real life. Um, all right, I think we got, oh yeah. Uh, Mom, I love you loads. 
speaking of loads, can you do my laundry? That's not, I mean, college students coming home, that's not what we're going for with that. And so, uh, oh yeah, last one. And this, I saved this one for last because I could actually see some of you actually saying this. I'm awesome, you're welcome, happy Mother's Day to the luckiest mom. I mean, it's, I, maybe self-deprecation is not the way you want to go, but don't go that far in the opposite direction. That's not, that's not where we want to. Mom, mom, you're awesome. Maybe let's start there. So anyway, but our current uh, sermon series has exemplified a great way to celebrate motherhood. And uh, that's where I want us to start off today. Throughout our study of the Old Testament, we've, we've seen the tremendous influence of women. In, in a world that is... Um, is continually putting forward the message that women are uh, have never been treated equally, especially especially among a predominantly Christian culture. The Bible would stand in stark contrast and say, "No, that's not that's not the case." In fact, uh, as we've looked throughout Scripture, we've we've seen some very uh, prominent women taking prominent roles that that we can truly say have been exemplary. For instance, uh, we have looked at the Book of Judges. When we saw in the Book of Judges, we saw Deborah. How, uh, when we studied that last year, we saw a godly woman taking a strong leadership role. Uh, and then at the end of the book of Judges, the, the, it chronicles it, one of Israel's lowest points as it objectifies the women that are uh, in one of the tribes there. And then the reason that ju- the book of Judges and Ruth are sandwiched right there together is to say, this is how low Israel had gotten, but look at these faithful, God-centered women who through their relationships modeled hope for all of Israel. And one of those women is not even, or actually two of the women in the story, one of them is implied, the other one's explicit. Uh, one of those women is not even an Israelite. She's a Moabite woman. And in that, in that story you see Naomi, Ruth, and Rahab joined together to form a beautiful story of love and friendship and faithfulness. Then we studied the book of Proverbs. And Solomon begins in this book of wisdom by warning his son against a foolish and adulterous woman. Whose feet go down to death, Proverbs 5.5 5, 5 says. And then at the end of the book, you have another king celebrating the influence of his mother. In Proverbs chapter 31, 28 and 29, King Lemuel says, her, ki- her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And so the book of Proverbs really at the beginning and end is a, is a testimony of the legacy and the influence of godly women. You may have never looked at the book of Proverbs that way, but that's exactly Solomon saying, and Solomon of all people should know. Solomon saying, listen, men, find yourself a wonderful woman and you will have a very rich life. And that's where, as we ultimately celebrate moms, we're really celebrating God's design for women in the life of families and the life of of the church and the life of our community and in the life of our nation. When we, we celebrate women who shaped our lives, our moms, our, our second moms, our Sunday school moms and grandmothers. But ultimately when we celebrate their work, we're celebrating the way that the Lord has shaped our lives through them and through their influence over us. And that's where our current series comes into focus. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 25 It says, let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. But how? How do we make our moms rejoice? How do we make our moms happy? That's what what we want to begin with today. 
Well, Proverbs 15.20 answers that by saying, if you want to make your mom happy, then walk in wisdom. Proverbs 15.20 says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. If you want to make your parents happy, walk in wisdom. That's what the book of Proverbs would say. And today, as we come to the prophet Amos, and we continue this, this His Story series, Amos is going to remind us what it practically looks like to walk in that wisdom. If we honor our parents by walking in wisdom, then what does that wisdom look like when it's fleshed out in a life? How, how, does it, how can we make our, our mothers truly glad in a practical way? That's really what we want to know. How do we, how do we practically walk in wisdom and gladden the hearts of our moms and our dads? And so we want to look at the book of Amos. And so you turn to Amos chapter 1, verse 1. We want to ask, as you see that title, that, the title of that book, Amos, we want to say, who was Amos is the first thing we need to ask. Who was Amos? So last week, we looked at the story of Jonah, didn't we? And Jonah being a prophet that spoke a kind word to uh, Jeroboam II and then ran away uh, as God told him to go preach in Nineveh and he ran the opposite dire direction to Tarshish, right? And uh, God got his attention in a very dramatic way. We noted that, uh, that, that one of Jonah's contemporaries, not in the sense that they were friends, but somebody who spoke a contrary message after the prophecy of Jonah had come true, Amos comes along and speaks negatively against this same king. And so these two guys existed about the same period of time. That's why we're doing Amos right after Jonah. The, and the first mention of him, of the, of the prophet Amos, is right here in the book that bears his name. Look at Amos chapter 1. Let's read verse 1. The words of Amos, who is among the shepherds of Tekoa, when he, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And so Amos, in this uh, first section of the book, or this first verse of the book, uh, is a preacher coming from this place called Tekoa and going to preach to Jeroboam II. And it's helpful for us to get some historical context because we've come a long way in, the stu in our study of Israel. Remember, Israel was at this point in its history, about 100 years prior to the time of Amos, had been divided into the, into the, uh, the, the Yankees and the Southerners, basically. You had your southern Israel, which is known as Judah, and then you had northern Israel, which is known as just Israel most of the time, or Ephraim, depending on what, what author in the Old Testament is speaking. And so about 100 years earlier, they had that division among them, and so they separated into these two kingdoms, Right? And one of the distinguishing marks of Israel uh, in the north was that they had not one temple, but two temples. The northern kingdom look at, looked at the southern kingdom where they had Jerusalem and Solomon's temple was there and all of its grandeur and all of its glory. And they said, oh, well, we're going to up you one. We're going to build two temples in the north. And they built one in Bethel and one in Gilgal, right? And so these... These temples in Bethel and Gilgal, they, didn't, they weren't consecrated to worship the, the Lord, the God of Israel. They actually had pagan deities and golden calves and all those kinds of things in them. And so Israel was way far away from, from where God wanted them to be. And so as Amos saw this reality and saw this, uh, these, these temples that were devoted to pagan worship, Amos was stirred in his heart and he, he basically just had a problem. With that type of thing existing in Israel. And so let me connect this with where we've been uh, the past few weeks. And if you're, if you're a guest with us today, over the past few weeks as we've uh, continued our study of the Old Testament, we've asked two questions. 
Two weeks ago, we asked, first of all, who are the prophets? Not the Old Testament prophets, but who are the modern-day prophets? Some people would say pastors. Other people would say that there's, a, there's actual uh, prophets, prophets that still exist. They, they, they speak out the words of God, um, and that's an actual office of the church, and there's a spiritual gift of prophecy, and all that's, all that's true. But a prophet was somebody who represented God to the people, and somebody who spoke the words of God to, to specific people at a specific time and a specific place. And two weeks ago, we said the prophets are not, it's not me primarily, but it's you. As you go out into your lives, as you go out into your workplaces, and as you go out bearing up the name of Jesus, then you're the prophets. You're the ones who represent God to the people. You, you have, God would stir in you, and he would tell you a specific message for a specific person or people at a specific time at a specific place. That's how God wants to use you. And then last week, we accompanied that message by saying, that's the calling that God, God's put on your life. And when God stirs in you, don't run the other way because it's not useful. It's not going to do you any good at all to run from God. Look at Jonah. Well, this week we come to the prophet Amos, and I want to prove to you that, that we're on the right track. Because what was Amos, according to chapter 1, verse 1? Was he a priest? Was he some uh, prophetic speaker, had some prophetic office in, in, the, in the north with Jeroboam II? What does chapter 1, verse 1 say he was? A shepherd. A shepherd. Do you know that being a shepherd was about the most common occupation in Israel? It's like, it, 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 would, it would be like being a teacher. And so let me hammer this point home again because I don't feel like we can say it enough. When you think about the Old Testament prophets, when you think about who God is using in the Old Testament, don't think about some special class of people and they were the only ones that could do ministry, that they were the only ones who could speak the words of God. That's not true. And in the same way, don't think that the only people in, in modern times are the, are the pastors and the, and the youth pastors and the music guys and the people who work in vocational ministry of the church. We're not the people that God has called into the ministry. God has called you all into the ministry. And that ministry is as you go home and as you spend time with your families. And that ministry is as you relate to your spouse. And that ministry is as you go to work each day. And that ministry is as you encounter people in the grocery store or you, or you go on your walk and God brings somebody randomly across your pathway. Listen, that is ministry. And Amos is proof positive of this, of this point that we're going to make over and over and over again. You're going to have people like Isaiah who are called to this prophetic office and who we have all of these writings that it's obviously that's what he did. But what we're seeing in the book of Amos is a regular Joe who God stirred in his heart because he saw something that was broken in the world and he had a passion for God to fix it. And God said, well, if you've got a passion then I'm going to use you, Amos, just a common shepherd. And Amos goes crazy in one sense because he's a nobody, not from northern Israel. It's not like he was like the second cousin twice removed to Jeroboam, so he was, Jeroboam was going to respect him. No, he's a common shepherd in the other kingdom. And unlike Jonah, when God stirs in Amos, what does Amos do? Amos obeys. Showing the right way to respond to God. And Amos goes from the south to the north. And goes and he prophesies to Jeroboam the second. 
And so what did he say? What did, what did Amos say? That's where we want to get into God's message through Amos. And I just want to break down the book for you quickly, and then we'll apply it to moms. Chapters 1 and 2, it's almost like, and if you, if you open up your, um, we've got these little handouts right here. If you open, open up the graphic on the back and look at the left-hand column, and you see it almost looks like a target right here. Right here. This is chap these are chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Amos. Basically, chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Amos go and Amos begins to prophesy and, and describe the wickedness in all of the nations surrounding Israel. The, the Tyre and Damascus and Ammon and Moab and Edom and Judah or in uh, Gaza. And he begins to describe the wickedness that's, that's all around Israel. But then he says, if the, iron's if the gold's rusting, imagine what the iron's doing. You see, Israel is the covenant people of God. They're supposed to be something very specific. And look at where they are. They're in shambles. There's brokenness. There's sin. There's idolatry in Israel. And Amos, whereas he describes the sins of the nation of Israel, I mean of the, of the nation surrounding Israel, he takes three times as, as many words and he launches them as an attack against Israel to say, you guys, you're worse. Because you've actually got the path of life, the path of righteousness laid out before you, but you're going to choose to walk against the God who paved that pathway for you. You're going you're gonna to choose to walk against the God who's blessed you with all of this knowledge about who he is. The one who's told you that if you obey me, then you're choosing life. But if you disobey me, you're choosing death. He's saying you're choosing to walk against that God. So you are held to a higher degree of accountability than all the nations around you. And specifically, the problem that he points out is that they had watched their brothers and sisters, their fellow Israelites, go into debt, essentially. This is the message of Amos. That, that they, they were wealthy Israelites, and they saw their brothers and sisters, their neighbors, go into debt and lose everything that they had and get sold into what they call debt slavery to somebody else. And the rich people were almost like, oh, well, you got yourself into that. You can dig your way out of it. That's what they said. And God's like, he can't, it's almost like God can't handle the injustice of his own people. And so what God does is he basically confronts them through the prophet Amos. And he says something very similar to what James says in James chapter 2. Verses 14 through 17. It'll be on the screen. You can just read it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Basically saying not that you're saved by works, but that if you profess to know Jesus, then that should be very apparent in your life. But if, if your life looks like you're following Satan, it doesn't matter what your profession says. Guess who you're following? Your life is a testimony to where you are truly putting your faith. That's what James is saying. And so he's saying, can that faith save him? Can just this lip service faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, look at the example James uses. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, and one of you says to them, oh, we'll go in peace. Be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for their body. Basically, if a, if a need is amazingly apparent to you, and you just kind of say, oh, well, have a great day, and you turn your back and you walk the other, other direction. He says, what good is that? 
So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You don't have a living faith if, that's the, if that describes your faith. Where you see a need and you just stay in the background. And so Amos calls them out on this. And in chapters 3 through 6, he basically continues to launch into or to lay into Israel. This is God speaking through Amos. Chapters 3 through 6. Israel had a stewardship of God's law. And remember, uh, when God gave them His law, when God gave them the tabernacle and the temple, all of these things were supposed to shape them into the kind of people that God wanted them to be. Because God wanted to use them for a very specific purpose. He wanted them to overflow His blessing back to the nations. And so when they didn't walk with God, and they didn't fear the Lord, and they didn't submit to God, then they didn't just stay. It's not like they just kind of were neutral. You see, worshiping God in the way that God has prescribed transforms you into a person of justice and righteousness. But false worship, idolatry, also has its consequences. It makes you not, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have no effect on you. It actually makes you self-centered and unjust. And so let's think about it. Let's, let's, let's make it in modern day terms. So we talk about coming to church. We emphasize that coming to church is important. And so let's say that you're a person who comes and you attend First Baptist Church on a regular basis. Or even a sporadic basis for that matter. And as you come and you come Sunday after Sunday or you come once a month or you come whatever, whatever your, your season is. And as you come, you hear a message in Sunday school, or you hear a message from the pastor, or you hear about, about needs that the church has, or you hear about things that, that are going on in the church, and you say, uh, you say, well, hey, that sounds good. And then you leave here, and you never think about it again. And maybe even you come and you shake my hand, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm, really, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you guys. And then you walk away. The kind of language that God has for the people of Israel when they do that is just incredible. It's not in the prophet Amos, but at one point, uh, I, think, I think it's in Ezekiel, the Lord, says, the Lord says, oh, you just keep standing there. This is God speaking, okay? This is not Ryan paraphrasing. He says, you just keep standing there, and I'm going to lift up your skirt. I'm going to expose your nakedness to the nation so that they can see how hypocritical and unjust you are. God, it's, it, God's, not, God's not messing around here, guys. Like, this is not, it's not child's play. This is life and death. And so if we, if, if we just come and we expect a religious experience to kind of satisfy God's requirements for us, then God says, you are sorely mistaken. I want all of you. Because all of you is the only way that you're going to get all of me. You being totally surrendered, you actually, actually caring about my word and actually obeying and submitting my word, that is the only way that you're ever going to experience my presence in the way that I designed you to experience my presence. There is no such thing as half-heartedness when it comes to following the Lord. And so Amos calls out the people of God on this. And in Amos chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, very familiar verses uh, to us, especially in light of Martin Luther King's 50th anniversary, uh, the 50th anniversary of his death, uh, several uh, weeks ago. 
Amos chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. If you want to underline it, it's probably the theme verse or verses in the book of Amos. Amos chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And, and Amos says to them exactly what we've said plus what God wants from them. He says, take away from me the noise of your song. So stop singing if singing is all you're doing. And to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. So, so, Ryan, if you're over there playing the piano this morning and you're doing it for the applause of men, stop playing the piano. It's, it's not working with me. But instead, verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so, first of all, stop with all the noise of false worship and going through the motions that doesn't equate to a real, living, vibrant relationship with God. But secondly, verse 24, if you want to know what it looks like to live a life that honors God, if you want to know what it looks like to be transformed by the message of the Bible, if you want to know what it looks like to walk in wisdom, then let justice and righteousness characterize your life. This is the life of wisdom and the life that, that follows God into tough situations to make an impact. That's what a life of wisdom looks like. And so we need to ask, what is this righteousness? And if you want to, if you'd rather look at it on your sheet, look, look, look at it on the back on the little graphic. It's right there in the middle. What is righteousness? Well, first of all, you need to know that when you hear the word righteousness, you need to go to the root of that word, which is right. And not right according to the world's definition, right according to God's definition, because God is the only one who is qualified to make the definition of right and wrong. And so God says there's a, a right path, a right way. It's correct. And it's the only correct one. And if you want to know what I expect of you, or if you want to know what right is, what righteousness is, then define it according to my terms. And basically, in the book of Amos, he says these relationships that you've just ignored, these people who need you, and you've just ignored them, you need, to, you need to turn your eyes upon them, for that is righteousness. But to be walking a path of righteousness is to be following God's standard of right. God has given you the law. God has communicated through His Word His expectations for you. Walking in righteousness means that you say, yes, Lord. That's what righteousness is. But then he uses this word justice. And far from being some kind of abstract concept, this word justice refers to acting justly or doing the right thing in any situation, pursuing the remedy of wrongdoings. Ultimately, justice, the, the act of justice are these concrete steps that you take to correct injustice and create righteousness. So does that make sense? If I see something's wrong, like let's say, for instance, I'm, I'm in my workplace, and I see somebody stealing from our employer... We call it a whistleblower these days, right? Then you don't just turn the other direction. It doesn't even matter if your boss is a, a good person, a, a, a righteous person, a Christian or Muslim or whatever. If you know that somebody is, is doing something wrong on company time or with the company vehicle or whatever, whatever that situation looks like, then you don't stand idly by and just say, well, that's their problem or that's my boss's problem. Listen, God is sovereign, and we believe in providence. If, God, if, you, if something is revealed to you in that context, you're foolish to stand idly by. You're a Jonah if you stand idly by. Now, that doesn't mean go kick open the door and, and you know, guns blazing and, and don't have tact and, and, and use your mind about it. But it does mean, hey, pray, seek counsel, 
and, and, and go talk to them. Because in you going to talk to them and you going to confront them about that injustice that's going on, then you're actually pursuing righteousness and justice. Or, or think about it in terms of, of even what's going on in our, uh, in our nation today. There's such division. And it seems like racial disunity is, is at a fever pitch in so many places in our world. And so here's what righteousness is. Righteousness, no, righteousness is that you know that it's wrong to call a person by a certain name that dem, demeans them as a human being. That they're a human being made in the image of God. And if you have some kind of name that, you, that, uh, that, was, that, that uh, people like that were called when you were growing up. And you hear somebody calling somebody that kind of name. That you don't just kind of, well. You don't turn your head away from that. You say, hey, listen. That person is created in the image of God. They may not be perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But I can't allow those kind of things to be said around me because it's not right. Are you going to become the most popular person in the world for pursuing righteousness and justice? No. But remember, you have an audience of one. And his name is Jesus. And we don't pursue righteousness and justice to be popular. We pursue righteousness and justice so that the definition of life and good and evil and right and wrong on this earth can be reoriented and restored to God's definition. We are to be a people characterized by righteousness and justice because that is what it looks like to walk in wisdom. That's what it looks like to walk in God's design. And there are a thousand different, different situations where you can apply that in your life, but you are to be a people of righteousness and justice just like the people of Israel were to be. And so in chapter 7 through 9... Amos prophesies northern Israel's destruction, which happened actually 40 years later at the hands of the Assyrians. And in chapter 9, verse 11 through 15, he actually talks about the Messiah who will come and he will rebuild Israel to become a family of all nations. Just like Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses and, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will proclaim my name in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the, into the ends of the earth. You see, the Messiah would come. This is what Amos said hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene, the Messiah would come and he would, he would perform some kind of act. And in performing that act, then justice and righteousness would go forward and the family of Israel would, would be rebuilt, but it would be rebuilt from all nations this time. And so by this time, you've probably said, maybe you've tuned out and you've said, I don't see how this has to do with Mother's Day at all. And I came today expecting to hear a really nice short Mother's Day sermon. Instead, you're talking about some guy named Amos who was a shepherd. And I don't get it. Well, let me, let me help you visualize it, okay? Very much like the prophet Amos, God has put people in our lives to be a clarifying and corrective influence on us. That's what Amos was doing. Amos was saying, God's done this, and you're not living up to it. Well, I can count, or I, I, can't, I can't even begin to count how many times my mom said very similar things to me uh, like that. You see, God puts people in our lives to clarify who we are, what we're supposed to be doing, and to correct us. And it's never comfortable. But if you want to be uh, one of those kids like in the earlier, uh, earlier part of the message where we said, hey, God 
has a design for you to walk in wisdom and that will gladden the heart of your parents, if you want to be that kind of person, then walk in wisdom. Walk in justice and righteousness. Obey and follow that corrective and clarifying influence that your mom exerts on your life. Let me give you an example of that. You, uh, most of you probably, uh, you probably uh, have a perfect example of this that you own and you don't even know it. Uh, these two brothers, Bert and John Jacobs, uh, were the youngest of six kids in a family that grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. And when they were uh, in elementary school, their mom and dad had a car accident where they both almost died. And as they, as, as they, um, as they, they stabilized and, and they, uh, they got into physical therapy, they found out that mom had just, the mom, her name was Joan, she had just broken a couple of bones, but the dad had become uh, paralyzed and had lost the use of his right hand. It was devastating to them. And in the process of, of them trying to deal with life and deal with some of the harsh realities of this suffering that had come into their lives, uh, they said their dad became very, very harsh. And it was a really tough environment for the Jacobs family growing up. But as they would sit down at the dinner table each night, the, the mom, her name is Joan, she still believed that life was good. And so every night as the family sat around at the dinner table, she would ask her six kids to tell her something that happened that day. And the brothers would recount, as simple as mom's words were, they changed the energy in the room. Before we knew it, we were all easily and happily describing the best, funniest, or most bizarre parts of our day. They said it changed everything. Growing up with a mother like that, it shaped Brent and John's life. And they talk about the kind of influence that she had as she sang to them in the kitchen, as she told animated stories or acted out children's books to them. No matter what bad situation they were going through, her corrective positivity cultivated an attitude of rejoicing and gratitude. And it taught them that being happy isn't dependent on your circumstances, but instead that optimism is at the root of all of these virtues in our life that makes a difference. And so more than likely, you own a piece of uh, Joan Jacobs' life-saving legacy if you own one of the many products with the slogan, Life is Good. That's why they came out with that clothing line. is because every night, after dealing with a harsh father... Every night, after going through the tough moments of growing up in Boston, Massachusetts, growing up in a family of six, growing up uh, with, a, uh, with parents who had had this near-death car accident, with all of the other trials of life, every night, the consistency of a mom's influence, she'd sit down and she'd say, tell me about your day. And because of Joan Jacobs' optimistic attitude, it shaped her sons to look at life in a certain way. And did you hear what they said? That having a, a, a good perspective, a hopeful perspective on life, has nothing to do with your circumstances. Hear that. Has nothing to do with the circumstances of your day. It has everything to do with where you place your hope and your perspective. And if you would recognize... If you would recognize that God is in control, life is always good, even when it's tough. And if you go to their website where they talk about their, their, uh, their, their, who they are, they say life is good, life is not easy, life is, is many times tough, but life is good.
Now, I wish that I could distill my mom's message and turn it into a $100 million franchise. That would be great, right? Probably not going to happen. But at the same time, moms, so many of you in here think that your life doesn't really make a difference. But the small, little consistent ways that you clarify and you correct your kids or the people around you, it makes a huge difference. The call is for faithfulness. And that's where we want to be. It's not perfection. Moms, you'll never be perfect. There's nobody who's perfect. The goal is to be excellent. The goal is to be faithful. And so I thank the Lord for my mom. I thank the Lord for the fact that he used her in my life to, to teach me many things. I thank the Lord that he put in my, in my life a, a mother-in-law who uh, did the very same thing. For my wife who's modeling my mother-in-law. And for, uh, for all of the little girls that I pray will grow up and be wonderful moms one day. But it all begins with simple acts of faithfulness that make a difference in the lives of the people around you. And so if you're a mom in here today, recognize that this is not about uh, having some huge landmark thing that you can put on Facebook, right? It's about the daily faithfulness of just being who God has called you to be to the people around you. But if you're a, a, a child in this room, or if you're a son or daughter in this room, then you need to recognize that what will gladden the heart of your mom, what will gladden the heart of your dad, is for you to walk in wisdom, to walk on the path of life, to walk in justice and in righteousness, to fear the Lord, and to pursue a life that honors Him. And in doing so, you will pursue and achieve a life that honors your mom. I know, I know this firsthand because if you had met me 25 years ago, then um, you would have experienced a mom who would cry herself to sleep many nights when she recognized that her son was living in opposition to God's will. But through love and prayers and the transforming power of the gospel, God not only healed me and restored me, but he restored that relationship with my mom. That's the only answer. And if you're a child in this room, if you're a son or daughter in this room, then that's what your, that's what your mom needs from you. They don't need you to be perfect. They need you to be faithful. They need you to seek the Lord and pursue justice and righteousness. And that is the only way. That is the only way to ensure not only that you will honor your mom, but that you will pave a pathway that is a godly legacy for your kids that will come after you. And so recognize this is the call of the book of Amos today. To walk in that kind of wisdom and recognize that this wisdom is available for anyone today who would submit to Jesus. Because Jesus is our wisdom and so today, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, then I want to encourage you to respond to this invitation and call upon his name. Ask for forgiveness of your sins. If you've got a, a relationship in your life, maybe it is a relationship with your mom that is broken. I want you to pray for that relationship to be restored and go make it right in whatever way you need to. If you've got family members who are dis disenfranchised from you that your relationship is rocky with right now, I mean, you pray and seek the Lord. This, that's what this time of invitation is for. But the wisdom of God is the answer. And so let us seek it with all of our hearts and not with half-heartedness. So let's pray together.